Hey, what's up? What's up? Thanks for tuning in to the Century Leadership Podcast. We are a culture of resources and relationships for spiritual leaders. I'm your host, Jordan Matthew Ward, and today we have Nancy Ortberg on the show. Nancy is a pastor, an author, teacher, a speaker. She's a very, very gifted communicator who is passionate about helping people connect what they believe with their everyday lives. Nancy and her family live out in the great state of California, and she has authored three books entitled Seeing in the Dark, Looking for God, and Unleashing the Power of Rubber Bands. Now, this may be your first time tuning in with us today, and that is okay with me. What we want you to know is that a century leader is a person who engages in personal development, is a forward thinker, and is passionate about the next generation of spiritual leaders. So in this episode, Nancy and I got to chat for a while about some of the very important concepts relating to relationship with God and relating to spiritual leadership. And I know that I left this conversation feeling very, very encouraged. I felt like I was just chatting with a friend who left me with some very important thoughts um, that almost instantaneously changed the way that I look at leadership and relationship with God. Um, So I know I enjoyed this very much, and I hope you guys do too. Um, So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation and listen to some of the things that Nancy left us with. Can you tell me a film and a musical artist that have had an impact on you in one way or another? Could be newer, could be older. Oh, that's a great question. Um, film-wise, I would say Shawshank Redemption. Oh, nice. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen and just holds up well over the years. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's on so often that yeah. no matter where I connect with it, any scene that I turn it on and see, I think, oh, this is a great scene. Yeah, for sure. And it's like it's true the whole way through the movie. So nice. absolutely that would be that would be it. Nice. Awesome. For, for movies, yeah. Uh, are there any particular um, reasons, like maybe themes or concepts in the movie that they introduced? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole theme of redemption, of grace, of brokenness, nice. um, of transcendent hope. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, those themes, and especially the end, the hope in yes. it all was just so beautiful. For sure. Yeah. I love that movie also. Uh, what about uh, oh, musicians? Hmm, that one's harder for me. I like different kinds of music, mm-hmm. but I think um, music is not a primary way. I kind of, yeah, I, that one would be harder for me. Okay. I, I'd have to go back probably into the days of my high school and college, and then nobody listening to this podcast would know who they are. <laughs> um, I, I do love Carlos Santana. Okay, and awesome. And Smooth, but that has nothing to do with anything. I just, every time I hear it, it makes me happy and yeah. full of joy. For sure. So I guess that would be my best answer. For sure. I I yeah. kind of have a similar uh, thing. Uh, lately, I've been uh, listening to a lot of Frank Sinatra, and that doesn't really oh, have... Oh, I love him, too. Yeah, there's no, like, deep spiritual significance there. It's just, like, yeah, it makes me... Yeah, the board. Yeah, makes me feel relaxed. Yeah. So that's definitely well, he's fair. He's kind of classic, too. Yeah, he's a classic. Yep. Yeah, always. Okay. You seem too young to even know who that is, but uh, <laughs> that's fabulous. Yeah. As we uh, kind of jump into this podcast, one thing I wanted to start off with asking you is... 
just what have you been up to lately? Uh, because I've looked into, you know, your website a little bit and it seems like you've done a lot, um, so far with books and ministries. And I just kind of wanted to take a second to ask, you know, what have you been up to lately? Where's your energy time focus? Where has that been lately? So just about two years ago, I took over and took a role as the CEO of an organization in the Bay Area that just got started mm-hmm. forming the Bay with Christ. Uh-huh. And it, it was actually started by a group of three Christian businessmen and four pastors uh-huh. who came together to form a board to say, what would it be like to help catalyze a holistic gospel movement in the Bay Area? Uh-huh. And so I've been with that organization for just this month, two years now, and it's been very interesting and very amazing. Okay. What did you say the name was again? It's called Transforming the Bay with Christ. Okay. So the website is pvc.city. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and we have, we, we work primarily through three strategic streams, through Unify, Amplify, and Multiply. Uh-huh. And we work to catalyze different leaders in each of those. So in Unify, we really primarily focus on senior pastors and marketplace leaders of faith. Uh-huh. In Amplify, we primarily focus on community pastors and nonprofit leaders around issues of social causes of homelessness, poverty, education. Wow. Um, and then under Multiply, we work with organizations and individuals who are planting churches in the Bay Area. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, so would yeah. you would you say within within uh, that organization does your role tend to change uh, depending on uh, what the focus is for that day or that week, or do you do kind of the same thing uh, on a consistent basis? Well, for the most part, I I do the same thing on a consistent basis. My job as the leader is to integrate all of that together and lay a foundation. Mm-hmm. So that there's a place for all those different kind of leaders to be catalyzed around. Mm-hmm. So um, while my day, everyday work will look different every day, it's mm-hmm. primarily intersecting with those leaders and helping to catalyze their leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That sounds awesome. Uh, so do you still uh, have uh, a role in, uh, I noticed on your website, um, different organizations, uh, network, um, teamworks too. Do you still uh, have your hand in those things as well? So Network was actually a ministry at Willow Creek Community Church. The first three years that I worked there, mm-hmm. Network was the um, ministry that I led, and it was a program that was already had already been written and was uh, had been done at, at Willow, and it was primarily helping people figure out what their spiritual gifts were mm-hmm. and how to live their lives both in the church and outside the church through their wiring and their giftedness. Mm-hmm. And then um, Teamworks was my affiliation with Patrick Lencioni and the Table Group, and I spent almost 12 years working with that framework of healthy teams mm-hmm. and organizational strategy, working with all kinds of different organizations, both corporate and nonprofit, okay. on issues of leadership and organizational health and strategy. It seems that you are no stranger to uh, change and to maybe moving. Um, Do you find that with um, change, the change of seasons, the change of scenery, um, you know, the place where you live, do you find that some of those changes require you as a person to change along with it? Yeah, 
Uh, interesting. So we moved back to California about 14 years ago. We had spent nine years in Chicago. And uh, for me, coming back to California was absolutely coming home. And mm-hmm. so uh, the move back here has been so good for my soul on a regular basis. Um, wow. The seasons are much milder here, a little more subtle. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, absolutely. And, you know, in the move, I bring my own season of life those changes involve me growing and stretching in different ways than they might have when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly every move involves adjusting with the kids, depending on what age they were. Now they're all out of the house. But, um, yeah, and change, whether it's on a macro level in your life mm-hmm. or a micro level, will almost always cause adjustments and turbulence, even if you like change. And I tend to like change. Mm-hmm. Um, even so, there are all six all kinds of adjustments that need to be made. I also find the older you get, um, when you move, the harder it is to make new friends because people have their routine set, they have their tribe. Right. Um, you know, so it's just, it's a challenge. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I was just thinking about that on my drive home because uh, I'm finding that some things are changing in my life and I'm just now realizing that, man, it almost every time it happens, it requires me to change a certain habit that isn't exactly healthy for me or a certain way of thinking that isn't healthy for me. Um, have you seen those, those same things in your life as far as change, like maybe thought patterns or, or anything like that? Absolutely. You know, a real simple example is when we moved back to Chicago, you know, now it would be, gosh, almost 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, My primary, there's a great book that Gary Thomas wrote called Sacred Pathways. And he talks in there about, 11 different ways that people connect to God. And your job is to kind of, as you read the book, think about what are the two or three ways that are the most intuitive for you Uh and to really lean into those and then maybe try a few of the other ones occasionally to stretch yourself, but really to understand that there are going to be primary pathways that connect you to God. And for me, it was around activism. So having a job or a, or some work to do in the world that was helping to change and shape the world. Uh It was relationships and nature. Okay. And, you know, we, we moved to Chicago, and I have no job. I have no friends. Wow. And in my mind, being from L.A., there is no nature in Chicago. So I felt like for almost a year, like I was floundering. Wow. And at first, I thought so poorly of myself. Like, I thought you've been a Christian long enough. You should have more of a solid center than that. Well, the truth was very different than that. The truth was your major arteries to God have just been closed off. Wow. And, wow. And, and, and God's going to restore Those are always going to be my primary pathway. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh, after I've been here a year or two, I got a job at Willow. I built friends. I would leave Chicago to find my nature. Um, but I had to start building collateral arteries around my heart to find new, and then I had to wait. I had to be patient while God, while God unfolded his plan for me there. So just like you, yes, there were so many adjustments um, just for me personally. And that was on top of trying to get my kids settled and get them adjusted. And uh, wow. it was, you know, and again, I love change. So it was traumatic for me. And I think for maybe somebody for whom it is a little bit more change resistant, can feel almost impossible sometimes. Like, yeah. this is just too much. Yeah, for sure. 
Wow, man, I have so many questions for you now uh, that you just brought up, you know, a few things that, that I definitely think are very interesting. I, I, I want to get to your your upbringing uh, a little bit here in just a second. Um, but one thing you said that I can't get away from is is that that season where you said you were floundering. Um, one one kind of, I guess, question or, or thing that makes me curious is the concept of going through those seasons where you may even be growing a little bit, but you don't see it or you can't feel it right. and you feel like you're not exactly connected with God in, in the right. way that you're used to. Um, what oh, do, absolutely. What do you think about that? Do you think there are times when you're actually growing, but you you can't sense it? Maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And there's also times where dormancy is is necessary, but there you, you aren't growing. You yeah. are you are stalled. You are in a waiting period. Now, there can be waiting periods and dormant periods where there is imperceptible growth happening. You're right, but you don't yet fully see the fruition of it. It's not. It's imperceptible. It's not noticeable yet, yeah. but it is happening. But I also think there are times when there is no growth happening, and you don't know the difference between those two in the moment, do you? Right, right. You really don't. It can be very frustrating. <laughs> Oh, frustrating, guilt-inducing, shame-producing, angering, sad, grief, you name it. Everybody's Uh going to have a different reaction to that Uh experience. But it will happen multiple times in your life. It's it's part of growth. You know, um, it's so easy to forget that Jesus invites us on a path to growth that basically says, you need to die. Oh, and it's not a one-time death. Yeah, This is an invitation into a rhythm of life that is death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Man, that's good. And so the death is, well, it's, it's good in the sense of its reality. It's bad. I tell God all the time, this is a really bad system. It's just a really bad <laughs> idea. I think, I think you should be able to grow just by having great conversations mm-hmm. and, and reading a book and stretching and growing. This death stuff, is awful, yeah. but it's what's required. And it was the life of Jesus, wasn't it? Yeah, for it sure. It was the life of Jesus. Yeah. Man, yeah. That's good. So, um, Man, I, I, I want to stay on this for just another second. Uh, sure. Do you think it's... Um, do you think we we have to know when we're growing? Do you think we need to be able to properly prescribe everything that's happening in our lives at a given moment, or is that not up to us? No. No, no. In fact, I think it can be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yes, sometimes. So the answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. And how do you know when? Well, you don't always. You do the best you can. Yeah. Um, I had a I had a boyfriend before I married John, who had a very interesting comment for me when we were dating, and he he said it very playfully, but he was so accurate that you know, thirty five years later, I still remember that. Um, he said you're always pulling up your roots to see if you're growing. You do know that that harms wow. the root. It's like, who asked you? I don't remember asking you. But, <laughs> you know, he was, it was so playful and fun. Part of him was saying it's kind of cute in you, but, oh, you know that this is true about you. Yeah. So take the boyfriend thing out of it and just say, as a good friend, he was making an observation about me that I wasn't even fully aware of myself. Yeah. But I get so anxious to measure my growth that in the process of doing it, I actually harm the very thing that's just a seed that's trying to grow. Wow. And so when do you measure and when do you not? Well, I don't know. 
there, there's not a clear answer. Sometimes you should be able to measure your growth. Other times you won't be able to. Right. And you need to trust that God's reality is this is the nature of growth. It's like, you know, um, you plant a bunch of seeds in your backyard and you don't go out there every day and use a spoon and scoop down to see is the seed sprouting roots and is the top growing up because you would kill it. Wow. You just simply have to let it be dead in the soil and give it time. You know, Henry Cloud talks about you need grace, truth, and time to change, which is really out of John chapter 1. Jesus came in grace and truth. Right. And it's the time component I always forget or get too impatient about. And so this, this call in, in growing to grow in patience, and as Dallas Fuller would say, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, are absolutely not just anecdotes, but they're very necessary components for growth to happen. Wow. Man, that's, that's some good stuff. I am positive that anyone listening to this is going to get something out of that. I'm, I know. Oh, it's positive, but it's painful. But yeah. it's, you know, we just need to be reminded to be patient with ourselves, to be patient with growth, to be patient with others, to be patient with God. Because he does not act as fast. There's a great quote by Frederick Faber, and if you just look up the name, F-A-B-E-R, uh-huh. and then type in the phrase, the slowness of God. Wow. He has a great paragraph that just talks about how aggravating the slowness of God is for us. Man, that's... And then Dallas Willard would say, we don't need to be in a hurry because eternity has already begun. You've already stepped into it. Dang, You're not waiting good. for it. You're in it already. That's so, so good. You know, yeah. I love Dallas Willard. He's like the grandpa I've I ever had. <laughs> When I when I can understand him, I love him. I I usually have to have somebody translate him for me, but yeah. that's okay. Man, that's good stuff. Okay, it's getting too deep for me. We got to back up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, me too. So, I have a headache. Let's go up. Let's go up superficial. Quick. Okay, so you're from LA, right? Say it again. You're from LA. Did you say? Yes. Okay. Oh, second generation, which doesn't mean anything anywhere else in the world, but <laughs> in LA, second generation is significant. There nice. aren't many of us. Okay, so how was that? Uh, like, what was your upbringing like in terms of family, you know, friends, all that? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think if anybody's honest, the only answer is Nick. Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, had a great mom and dad who loved me deeply and were also deeply flawed. I, I like to tell people um, every parent gives their children great gifts and great wounds. Right. And... So my dad was an avid outdoorsman. I learned to hunt and fish from him by the time I was three to five years old. I have a, I have a love for nature and outdoors Nice. because of him. Um, my mom uh, worked full time from the time I was a little girl. I have a love for work that came from both of my parents. Um, they were both fun people. We did a lot of fun stuff together. My dad was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But he was a very, you know, like on a scale of one to ten, he was probably a four. And, and what I mean by that is not only did he rarely get angry, he always had a steady job. Um, when he drank, he actually got funny or he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the horrific end of that. But yet that whole dynamic is a system that scars you in ways that you don't even know. Right. And there was a fair amount of fighting. They split up for a year when I was eight years old, which was very traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a Christian school, which I think for me, because my mom was a believer, but my dad wasn't until the last few months of his life. My parents actually ended up 
reconcile and staying married until my dad passed away. Wow. Um, I think going to a Christian school was helpful for me. We made a very different choice because our kids were involved in church and both their parents were believers. We sent our kids to public school uh-huh. until we got to college. Um, I had a collection of friends and um, extended family nearby that was very rich. I loved growing up in Los Angeles. So it was mixed. It was mixed. Interesting. Yeah, I would, ha- I would definitely have to say the same thing for myself. Well, if it's any consolation, I would I would say my, ch- my own children would be untruthful if they were to say anything but mixed. Uh-huh. It's just, <laughs> no matter how great a parent you have, they bring flaws. And those flaws land on kids in ways that are imperceptible initially. Right. Um, it's just, that's just the way it works. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. I just think that's, the, that's just the way life tends to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. so would you say your family or I guess a better way of asking this question is, um, basically what I'm trying to ask is how did you come to Jesus? Were there specific people in your mm-hmm. life? Was it your family, yeah. or friends, yeah. events? Definitely. Um, I made my first decision for Christ when I was eight years old. Nice. And it's kind of interesting to me that it was happening at the same time my parents split up for that year. I think. Wow. You know, I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. I really don't. Um, my mom was a believer, but because my dad wasn't, she probably attended church with me much more sporadically. And it was really my grandmother that made sure that I was in church every Sunday. I went to a little tiny church in Norwalk, California. There were probably 50 to 70 people there. And it was probably the space and place where I was most positively impacted around church and around God. Um, my grandmother was just a rock in my life. And then I went to Christian schools. Nice. And again, that was a mixed experience. But for the most part, the good stuff that came out of it was very foundational for me in understanding God and learning about His nature and connecting with Him. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, but my grandmother, certainly my mom, to a, a, in a different way. And honestly, even my dad, even though he wasn't a believer until the last couple months of his life, he... He brought a joy to life and a wonder and awe around nature that I would say to this day are some of my deepest ways of connecting to God. I mean, here's the bottom line. Whether somebody's a Christian or not, they were made in the image of God. Right. And they will they will impact your life in ways that they can't help themselves because of that reality. Yeah, for sure. I also had a great a great collection of friends as I got older that I'm actually going back this weekend to Los Angeles for a high school reunion. I don't keep in touch with them terribly regularly, but when we get together, like they were really foundational in shaping who I was. So in, in terms of leadership and you taking um, leadership seriously and in ministry seriously, what were some of the first steps or some of those first moments where you realized, I think God's calling me to be a leader? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think in a little bit in high school, but not in super obvious ways. Like I wasn't class president, but I was uh, the director of, I think I was the social chairman, you know, which is like, let's have a party. Let's get everybody together and have a party. Right. I had small leadership roles in high school. In college, I went back to my home church and got involved with the youth pastor in doing ministry. And he was probably, his name was Jamie Barr, and he was probably the first person that in a direct way spoke words over me, you're a teacher and you're a leader, wow. and invited me to, as a volunteer, 
at 19 years old, joined with his team uh, and helped shape the high school department at that church. And he was such an interesting guy. He had been a research chemist with City of Hope in Los Angeles doing research for cancer treatment. Uh-huh. And one day just felt like God calling him away from the microscope and into seminary. And so wow. um, he, he just, anybody that would come alongside of him and help him grow that group of high school kids he was in with. So for five years, I volunteered under his leadership. And that was probably the first person that directed me in that, in that direction to say there's some kind of leadership gift in, in me. And I'm not only responsible for it and obligated to it, I find great joy when I use it. Wow. That, that's awesome. So, so did you actually feel like a leader or you felt like, yes, I, I, I do want to step into leadership or were you a little like, eh, I don't know about that? Uh, no, I was super excited about it. And again, I'm not even sure that I would have used the L word, if that makes sense. Right. Um, he used it a little bit, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. So it was just something you wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I, I just felt very compelled at that age group. And essentially, I changed my volunteer role over the college department. Like those two age groups are so much of forming your worldview, your parents, and really asking yourself, there is no such thing as inherited faith. What do I really believe? And I love that phase of life. I think that's really fascinating. So Jamie Barr just gave me leadership tasks to do uh-huh. and then would give me feedback on them and kind of was growing me and shaping me without me really even knowing what he was doing. And not just me, lots of other people. Yeah, yeah for sure. That That's awesome. So this is kind of like... Uh, we're definitely segueing into some concepts that, uh, I definitely wanted to ask you about. So I'm finding this really awesome talking to you and, and hearing some of the things you have to say. You're kind of making my job easy because you're, you're kind of oh, well, introducing, you're asking fun, you're asking fun questions. So. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you Great. think so. Um, so again, <laughs> I wanted to, to go back to the, the concept of, of growing as a leader. Well, well, actually I think we, mm-hmm. we kind of handled that perfectly. Um, but, but one thing that you said, uh, about the feedback, um, you know, when I think of growing, I think of, mm. um, obviously stepping outside of your comfort zone and trusting right. in God. I think there's an element of growing that requires you to know how to take constructive criticism in the right yeah. way. What are your thoughts on that? Well said. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's really well said. And again, it's easier to talk about than to actually do, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so a couple of thoughts on that. It's fascinating to me in the Gospels that Jesus uses conflict and difficult conversations a lot mm-hmm. to get to the heart of the issue. And yet we read through the Gospels and then we put together leadership systems and discipleship pathways that are almost devoid of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, before I came on this podcast, I just had a conversation with a church leader here in the Bay Area. I asked him about another church leader in the Bay Area that he had been collaborating with. What was that experience like? Well, not great. What were the issues? These were the issues. Have you talked to him about it? Oh, no, no, no. We're just going to kind mm-hmm. of distance. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, wrong answer. Mm-hmm. You could get a lot of other answers, but that's the wrong answer. So how right. do you lean into that? And then inevitably... Inevitably, what one of the main things that's going to keep you from being open to that is insecurity and fear. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll know that when you start to get defensive or you implode. So both ends of the spectrum. Somebody gives you difficult feedback and you just think, oh, I'm the worst person in the universe. I'm horrible. 
I can't do anything right. That's imploding. Or you get defensible. Who do you think you are? Well, you do this. And that's not true. Neither one of those, those are very unhealthy responses, unless it's just an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's how do I get myself to the place where I know that I'm okay with God. God and I are good. So mm-hmm. we're, we're connected. I'm his child. And I can be open to this feedback and ask questions and say, I'd like to consider the possibility that there might be some truth in this. Um, or, gosh, I've heard these words before about me. I am very capable of that. Let me understand that. And then to really lean into it instead of away from it. And again, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about growth involves death. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, man. what I just talked about, if you didn't see like four different deaths in there, you weren't listening. Like right. <laughs> You're right. going to have to die to a lot of things to be able to grow. Yeah, and I, I think you're exactly right. I think feedback from other people. Now, people, when they give you feedback, they're going to bring their own issues to you. And so you have to be discerning. Um, you know, you have to be able to parse out what part of it is true and you need to listen to and what part of it might be their own issues. Um, it, it's a very complicated process. And that's pro- partly why we just say, oh, forget it. This is too much work. Right. I'm just going to go find some people that really like me. And I'm going to tell them what that person said, and they're going to tell me that's not true, and I'm going to feel better. And again, that's not the right way. Right. Totally agreed. Um, this is, I think this is an interesting time to introduce uh, another uh, topic that I kind of wanted to bring up with you and get your thoughts on. Social media. Mm-hmm. Do you think it can play a negative role in our relationships? Well, sure. Um, it can play a negative role and a positive role. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the bottom line is technology is a tool. Mm-hmm. It's not the vision. It's not a leader. It's a tool. So it serves us. So I have to be very thoughtful about how I engage in social media. And again, you know, you're going to have people on this podcast that are younger than I am that can even speak better to this kind of stuff. Right. Um, because they're more savvy with it. But, you know, it's a no brainer when you read social media and you see uh, the freedom, the horrible freedom it gives people to say things that they would never say if they were face to face with you Mm -hmm. that actually don't stimulate conversation. They shut it down. And that's kind of uh, why I wanted to bring that up because I feel like there are certain relationships for me personally, where it's kind of had um, a negative effect, uh, and it was no one's intention to do that. But I just think sometimes that it can have effect on us. And, and I think it, it presents an interesting dynamic when we talk about leadership, leadership development and ministry. Um, I think social media can be uh, a wild card sometimes. Do you find that? I actually love that word. Mm -hmm. It's a wild card. I think we just talked to somebody the other day, my husband and I did, and he said he has a, uh, I can't remember how, what he called it, but he reads through every post he's going to put or every tweet he's going to put out on social media three times before he hits send. Nice. Three times. Just read it, reread it. Is it adding to the conversation in a really helpful, honoring way mm-hmm. that's not going to be polemic, but it's really going to be thoughtful and stimulate people to think and engage, but not be hurtful. Right. Or unfair or damaging, punishing. Right. That's a, that's a definitely a good idea. 
Yeah, I think yeah, if more, I love that. Yeah, I think if more people did that, it would it would be a lot more positive than negative for sure. Well, and and there'd be a lot less tweets and, and <laughs> social media posts, wouldn't there? A yeah. lot. Less. And then, yeah. but you know, it, it's hard. It's also it's not just the negativity. That's a huge piece. It's a huge piece, but it's also um, it's also the positivity. Mm-hmm. You know, you you scroll through and you see nothing but beauty and and happy families and yeah. you know amazing things happening and you're scrolling through it from your mundane life thinking wow 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 i yeah i suck yeah there's a bit you of know, that comparison it's, just, it's it's like you just have to be in charge of it um there's an old um mainline pastor back from the 50s named martin lloyd jones he's been dead for a long time but he has this great phrase he used to say um the source of most of our unhappiness in life is that we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. Mm. And the listening to ourselves is just reactionary, just reacting, reacting, reacting. And you're listening to that internal voice, which is not usually very positive. And social media can become like that internal voice Mm -hmm. instead of talking to ourselves and saying, I don't have to stay on Facebook for 45 minutes. I don't have to respond. I don't have to. And again, to me, it's much it's, the biggest issue for me is, am I in charge of it or is it in charge of me? Man, that's good. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Do you and think it's hard because it's ev- it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it, our our society kind of revolves around it uh, in a certain way, for sure. Uh, would you absolutely? Do you think that um, uh, as far as you and your personal life, your ministry? Is social media um, one of the tools that that you use heavily, or or is it kind of uh, not so much like in your in your focus? Uh, I have a young woman on our staff who's just very gifted at that, and she does that primarily. Mm-hmm. I I I don't post. I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. But she, she does, and she's way better at it than I would be. And if she told me, "Hey, I need you to write something for this," I would do it. Yeah. But she primarily oversees that. Awesome. That's cool, man. Okay. So for the sake of time, uh, I wanted to kind of move along and talk about one more concept, um, before we draw to a close. Um, I have so many questions for you just because a lot of the things we talked about, um, just kind of make me curious and I like the way you put some of the things and, um, I definitely wanted to to touch on some of your books, uh, and whatnot, but, um, just for the sake of time, I want to go ahead and move to, Um, just the concept of investing in the next generation of leaders, Mm. um, because that's one thing that century leadership, um, takes very seriously. Uh, it's the primary focus of everything we do. Um, and so I wanted to kind of get some of your thoughts on what it means to invest in the next generation of leaders. Um, what would you say are some effective ways of doing that and and even just some important mm-hmm. things to have in mind when we think about yeah. who's coming uh, to take the baton after us. I love that. You know, I think I described to you a few minutes ago, Jamie Barr in my life, obviously people did it for me. And so I think it's such a privilege to be able to turn around and continue that baton passing. Right. Um, I think the first couple of thoughts that I have when you ask me that question is, if I'm going to do that with somebody, I want to think very carefully, not only about what I have to offer them, but who they are as a starting point. Mm-hmm. So to get to know them, get to know their generation, their mindset may be different than mine. That's not bad. That's okay. 
I also think there's probably going to be more similarities than there are differences. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think we I think the generational naming can be helpful. But, you know, one of my my son will roll his eyes and say, "Who told your generation that they got to name my generation? I don't want a name. Like <laughs> we don't need to name the millennials, whatever." Yeah, you know, it's helpful. It's helpful to some degree, but then it also reinforces stereotypes. Right. And um, it, it really is like, how do we find common uh, points that we have things in common? Um, right. So, you know, and how's that a starting place? Because we're all human. Right. And that's the, that's way more important than where the differences are. I was um, meeting with somebody the other day who's a millennial, and I just really liked them. They're a strong leader, and we meet on a regular basis. And they were teasing me when they got to the restaurant or the coffee shop we were meeting at. I was reading a newspaper. And, you know, I'm, I'm old, so I'm reading a newspaper. <laughs> and they were laughing at me. And I said, okay, you read it on your phone. And I can read it on my phone, but I like reading it in the Who cares? Right. That's the form, not the essence. Right. And we get overly into separating us out on the form. The bottom line is the essence is we both like to keep up on the news. That's right. the more important piece. That's the commonality. How you do it, who cares? Right. Who cares if you read it in hieroglyphics or how yeah. your neighbor tell you or you read it in a magazine? That's, we make that matter so much that then it separates us and we stop having the essence conversations that are about what's going on in Syria. Um, you know, what's going on in the world? That's the bigger question. So I think when I come to looking how to build into younger leaders, I want to come with questions and understanding their story. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you started. You started asking me about my story. I hardly ever do interviews where people will ask me that question, at least not first, and hardly ever. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's where we connect with people. We have so many things in common from the wonderful things that were in our childhood and the hard things. And pretty soon you realize, I'm not alone and I'm not unusual. I'm like everybody else. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, when I started leading, um, it was a ministry at Willow Creek called Axis, which was the church looking at how do we reach the next generation of church people. So it was really for Gen X at that time. And I led that ministry for about five years. And I was really upfront with my staff who were all young Gen Xers themselves. I said, you know, I don't think they were hoping to get a middle-aged mom to be their new leader. So they're kind of looking at me like, we don't really want you here. <laughs> and I said, listen, here's the, here's the essence. We want to find out how to reach your generation. I have no idea. And they looked at me funny at first, like, wow, you're our leader and you have no idea. I said, yeah. no, how would I know? How would I know how to reach your friends? Wow. You're going to tell me. And unless it's immoral or illegal, we're going to try it. And then we're going to learn from it. And we're going to iterate and pivot. And we're going to create something that will bring your friends to Christ. And you're going to help shape it. Because yeah. I don't have all the answers. So uh, I, I would say, after you know their story, how do you engage them in solving the problems and moving the kingdom of God forward? Not just you as a mentor teaching them, but as a collaborative partnership together. Man, that's good. That's very good. Uh, that's definitely... That's what we all want. That's it, what we want. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that shows a, uh, a creative way of thinking outside of... Uh, the conventional ways of approaching ministry, because I think sometimes it's like, okay, here's the 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 lesson, here's the um, the format or the template that we're following, and I think that's a really good way of approaching it. Is is I right, don't know, right, I don't have right. all the answers, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Wow, Nancy, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Oh gosh, you're welcome. Sharing some My of your pleasure, thoughts, really. 
Yeah, that was the good stuff. Uh, I I'm kind of sad we didn't get to talk about some of your books, but uh, for the oh, sake of time, fine. I I uh, I appreciate what you did share with us. It was really good stuff. Wonderful. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Last thing I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. in terms of leadership development, what do you think is the most important thing, like what would be the most important thing that you could leave with us and our listeners um, when we're thinking about the next generation of spiritual leaders, we're thinking about growing um, and, and everything that we talked about. What's the, the most important mentality or attitude to have as you're navigating all these different concepts? For me, what it would boil down to is it's a lifelong journey to test whether or not you believe that God is good. Because if God is not good, he's not worth following. Uh-huh. And it's it's one thing to mindlessly say, yes, God's good, I believe it. It's another thing to wrestle through when life gets difficult. But what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, Dallas Willard says in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, that the acid test for any theology is, is God good. And if he's not good, you should turn around and go a different direction. So that that lifelong journey that will take you in dark places and beautiful places of can I trust that God is good? For me, almost everything boils down to that. Man, that's good stuff. Thank you so much, Nancy. I really appreciate it. I feel like uh, a completely different person after hearing you talk about some Uh, of this stuff. So thank you very much. You know, it's a journey together. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Once again, we want to send a big thank you out to Nancy for joining us on today's episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to you, to your family, just for taking the time to pour into us and to give us a glimpse into your life, your relationship with God, and your approach to leadership. People, do not miss the Century Leadership experience a one-year leadership development journey this year's experience features three round tables with today's great spiritual leaders larry osborne of north coast church phil vischer the creator of veggie tales and rich and robin wilkerson of trinity church in miami florida Each of these roundtables is included in the experience along with great resources and great, great relationships that will last literally a lifetime. You can join the experience for only $400 by going to centuryleadership.com. Once again, only $400 and you can sign up at centuryleadership.com. If you want to connect with Century Leadership on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Century underscore Leader. You can also find us on Facebook at Century Leadership. And you can also check out the website at CenturyLeadership.com for more details. That is it for today's episode. I'm your host, Jordan Matthew Ward, signing off. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And until next time, see you later.